Hey friends, thank you for joining us for The Word for Everyday Disciples with Dave DeSelm, a weekly podcast that brings biblical teaching to everyday people in ways we can understand and then put into practice. I'm your host, Gwen DeSelm, and bringing us The Word today is our teacher, Dave DeSelm. Dave spent over 40 years in pastoral ministry and was the founding senior pastor of a church called Fellowship in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Currently, he is the executive director of Dave DeSelm Ministries, offering help and hope to everyday pastors through coaching and other resources. You can find out more about us at davedeselmministries.org. Christmas is all about love. God's immense love for the people of a lost and broken world, a love that would compel him to send his son, Jesus, to live among us, to show us the love of the Father, then suffer and die so that we might be reconciled to this God who loves us so. Well, in this episode of our series, The Advent of the King, we invite you to immerse yourself in God's amazing, extravagant love. At the beginning of his message, Dave shows an image of an inkblot and asks the audience to see what it looks like to them. Well, we've put that inkblot in this episode's show notes. So if you want to see, if you can see the hidden image, go to davedeselmministries.org slash podcast slash 158. That's 158. Now let's join Dave for this timeless Christmas message. Let's take our Bible, shall we? And open them up to the New Testament book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews. One of the activities I enjoy playing with my six-year-old granddaughter is Where's Waldo? Any of you familiar with Where's Waldo? Yeah, we play this thing, and for the life of me, I cannot beat her at this. You who are unaware of it, in the midst of all the chaos and the confusion of every page of this, there's this crazy character called Waldo, and the idea, of course, is to find him in the midst of it all. Sometimes she'll say, Grandpa, are you letting me win? I said, no, I'm not letting you win. I'm too competitive for that, but she still beats me. Much to her delight and my chagrin. Where's Waldo? Yeah. Back before Where's Waldo, there was another game, kind of a how-do-you-see-it game. It was called Think Blot. And the essence of Think Blot was... There were these black and white ink blots, and you were supposed to try to make sense of it, to see something in it. I couldn't find the game, but I did find an ink blot. So let's go ahead and flash in the side screen. And there you have an ink blot. I'm going to ask you as you look at that, do any of you see anything there besides just the confusion of black and white? Does anybody see anything there? About a fifth of you see something. You who see something, what do you see there? How many of you see Jesus there? How many of you don't see Jesus there? All right. Look at the hands that just went up for the don't see Jesus. And now you who see him, try to help the person next to you see Jesus there. Go ahead. Try to help him. Okay. Let me ask you, how many of you see Jesus in the picture? How many of you hate this game? (laughs) Yeah, that's what I was thinking. All right. All right, well... Yeah, I was watching that little, you do that little exercise. I don't know who was more frustrated. You who couldn't see Jesus or you who couldn't explain him to somebody else. You find something, well, what's wrong with you? Why can't you, it's right before you, why can't you see Jesus? Have you ever thought that God had the very same problem? Think about it. 
Notwithstanding all else that happened in his creative genius when he made the universe, he wanted to show himself. He wanted to show himself to people. He wanted to show us how much he loved us. But we couldn't see him in the midst of all the chaos. One of the things that showed us God was the simple creative brilliance of the heavens. The psalmist wrote these words, The heavens declare the glory of God. Go out on a winter night and see the stars before you. And they, they scream, they scream for a designer. It's almost as if God is saying, do you see me? Do you see me? But many can't or won't. Unable, perhaps, to show us on the big scale himself, he chose to do it, have a second strategy. He would take one people group, a very unassuming, insignificant people group, the nation of Israel, And he would so pour himself into them that hopefully others could see him in them. Really, the story of the Old Testament is how God did that, how he called out a people, worked in a people, and tried to display that people to others, but all too many still couldn't see him. And so the time came that God ultimately decided to pull out all the stops. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 1, it's alluded to. Do you have it yet? Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things, by his powerful word. In the past, God used the prophets. He used creation. He used Israel. But now, he sent his son. That moment when God sent his son to earth, of course, is what we celebrate at Christmas. In the 10th chapter of Hebrews, there is a discussion of sorts that took place between God the Father and God the Son. Slide over there, just a few pages. Very interesting. I don't know that many of you have ever seen this before. This could arguably have been the last conversation that God the Son and God the Father had before the Son came to earth. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. That is to say, it didn't get the message across. They missed the point. Then I said, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. Again, look at the end of verse 5. But a body you prepared for me. That which the writer of Hebrews articulated is seen actualized in the Gospel of John. One paraphrase on the side screens you can see speaks of the same thing. Before anything else existed, there was Christ with God. He's always been alive and is himself God. He created everything there is. Nothing exists that he didn't make. And then in verse 14, And Christ became a human being and lived here on earth among us, full of loving forgiveness and truth. God became man. Why? To show us how much he loved us. To show us how much he loved us. He came for us. Steve Brown 
writes a remarkable illustration of this. Listen to the story that Steve Brown tells. She was 18 and he was 19 when they met. They fell in love and one year later they were married. Some six years and three children's later, she decided while standing before the kitchen sink with a stack of dirty dishes and with a pile of dirty laundry on the floor that she just couldn't take it anymore. She dried her hands, put on her coat, and simply walked out the door. In the weeks that followed, she'd call home periodically to check on the children. And on those occasions, her husband would tell her how much he loved her. He'd ask her to come home each time she refused. After a month of phone calls, the husband hired a private detective to find his wife. The report came back to him that she'd been found in a cheap hotel in Des Moines, Iowa. In an instant, he made his decision. He asked for a few days off from work, placed the children under the care of a neighbor, and took a bus to Des Moines. He found the hotel and made his way to a room. And when he knocked on the door, his hand trembled because he didn't know the kind of reception that he would get. His wife opened the door, stood there for a moment, looked at him in shocked silence, and then fell into his arms. Let's go home, he said. While on the bus, he couldn't help but ask her questions that had long troubled him. Why wouldn't you let me know where you were when I called, he said. I told you I loved you. Why didn't you come home? And taking his hand, she replied, Before, your love was just words. Now I know that you really love me. Because you came for me. You came for me. How do you know that God really loves you? Because he came for you. You're listening to The Word for Everyday Disciples with Dave DeSelm. Dave will continue his message in just a moment. If you're enjoying this podcast, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. Then help others find us by sharing this podcast with your friends and family. You can also support us in this ministry. Just go to davedesellministries.org and click on the Donate button. Dave Desell Ministries offers resources for everyday pastors so they can equip the everyday people they lead to become everyday disciples. And one of the ways that we do that is through the Everyday Pastor blog. In each post, Dave offers practical insight and personal experience born of over 40 years of pastoral leadership. This blog covers topics that everyday pastors and leaders need to strengthen their skills, sharpen their vision, and care for their souls. You can find the Everyday Pastor blog on our website, davedesellministries.org. Now here's Dave with the rest of today's teaching. Three truths I'd like you to make note of, and hopefully one or more of these truths will resonate in your soul long beyond this morning. Here's the first. Because of Christmas, I can know that I matter to God. It seems so simple, but I'm guessing in a crowd this size, there are some of you who in this room really struggle with that, that you matter to anybody, much less God. Now, this world is filled with all kinds of people. I was in Walmart the other day, and it's a madhouse, one of my favorite places to shop, Walmart, cheap. But there in Walmart, I, people were everywhere. I don't go out much at Christmas for that very reason. People were everywhere. In the midst of that, there were kids with nose rings and spiked hair. Uh, there were mothers with crying babies. 
There were old folks pushing their shopping carts. People were everywhere. And I found myself thinking, does God, that's only one store in one city. Does God really know every one of these people by name? Can every one of them really say, in effect, I matter to God? Could that be true? Could that be true? Now, the little I know about astronomy feeds my doubts about God's capacity that the people matter to him. Scientists tell us, get this, our sun is a second-rate star among 500 billion stars in the Milky Way, which, by the way, is only a medium-sized galaxy among 200 billion other galaxies, all swarming with stars. Think about it. One person on a speck of a planet in a smallish solar system in a mediocre galaxy, that's you. And you matter to God as much as if you were the only person in the entire universe. How do you know you matter to God? Because he came for you. Every time I unwrap a nativity scene and decorating for Christmas, I unwrap the baby Jesus figure. That thought comes to me. You loved me so much that you came for me. I must matter a lot. But there's more. Not only did God come, but how he came is quite extraordinary. He didn't come in a great, uh, with glorious angels and trumpet sound. Ta-da! Here I am, everybody. You matter to me. No. Think about this. He shrank down, down, down to become a barely fertilized egg. That egg divided and redivided as was placed inside a young girl until a fetus was formed. It developed into a baby. And that baby came forth to join all the other humans on this tiny speck of a planet. But he became a baby born to a poor couple in a marginalized country under Roman occupation. He was born in a stall. Literally, he was born in a feeding trough, in a stall. And that shows me something. Because of Christmas... I can trust that God really understands. Some of you really wonder, can anybody understand what it's like for me? It's hard for me. I'm poor. I'm struggling. I'm living in less than desirable conditions. Max Lucado writes of it so well. The one who'd been robed in heavenly glory was now dressed in rags. The one who had known a golden throne was laid in a feeding trough. The one who'd experienced the worship of legions of adoring angels was stared at by some bewildered shepherds. God came near. He came not as a flash of light or as an unapproachable conqueror, but as one whose first cries were heard by a peasant girl and a sleepy carpenter amidst the smell of animal dung and the buzz of flies. The greatest miracle of all time happened. But he didn't stay a baby, did he? As he grew, he had to grapple with every aspect of humanity. Think about it. He knew the pressure of everybody wanting a piece of him all the time. Some of you are facing that, aren't you? Everyone constantly wants a piece of you and you think, there's not enough for me to go around. He faced the pain of being understood when he tried to help. Some of you know what that's like too, don't you? He faced having friends disappoint and even betray him. He faced the deep loss of a loved one to death. He faced it all. All the hurt and the heartache that you have faced, Jesus faced firsthand. 
The writer of Hebrews in this paraphrase puts it this way. We don't have a priest who is out of touch with our reality. He's been through weakness and testing, experienced it all, all but the sin. This is Jesus. He understands you. He knows what it's like for you. But you say to yourself, okay, I'll grant that you've been where I've been, but what are you going to do about it? How do you take me out of this that one day I can be clear of it all? And it's here where the love of God is seen in its greater dimension. Because not only did Jesus face the pressures of life, he provided the answers for death. That baby grew up. And one day that baby went to a cross. And he reached out his arms and said, I love you this much. And he gave his life to pay the penalty for your sin, to give you hope and wholeness and ultimately to take you home. And that's the last thing I want you to see. Because of Christmas, I can hope that God will take me home. You see, for all the life that you have in this world, you have an appointment, and that's with death. Either one day I will do your funeral, or one day you'll attend mine. But you have an appointment with death. Then what? Then what? It's the biggest enemy, and it's the most frightening mystery. Then what? That's why Jesus' words in John 14 were so powerful. Listen to these words from John 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Just like the husband in the story, Jesus will come back for you to take you home. But there's something else you need to understand that the story points out. The husband had to knock on the door, didn't he? He did not force his way in, did he? It was up to the wife to open the door. Then there could be reunion. Then she could go home. But the decision all lay in whether she would open the door. As with her, so with you. Jesus said in the book of Revelation, Behold, I stand at the door of your heart and knock. If any will open the door, I will come in to him, to her, and dine with them. He speaks of an intimacy. He speaks of a relationship. But it's all to be determined by whether you open the door. Have you? I mean, really. I'm not saying you go to church. I'm not saying you've been baptized. But you know whether or not you have opened the door of your life to Christ and said, please come in. I need what you offer. I need the forgiveness that you offer. I need the wholeness that you provide. And I need the peace that one day I'll go home with you. Have you ever done it? If not, you can. If you have eyes to see that he really is there and really does want to come in.
Hey friends, Pastor Dave here. Some of you needed to hear this today, that you matter to God. He knows your name. He knows where you live. You mean more to him than you could ever imagine. You really matter. And you're not alone. Moreover, he understands all the pressure you're feeling right now, all the pain that you're experiencing, he understands. He faced it all. He can identify with you and he can see you through it. He really can. But ultimately, he wants to take you home. He wants to take you home. The question is, will you open the door? You can do that right now. You can open the door of your heart to Jesus Christ and ask him to come in and forgive you and make you a new person. To break the chains, to give you hope, peace, purpose, fulfillment, and the confidence that one day he'll take you home. My friend, I can't think of a better Christmas gift to give yourself. If you'd like to do that, then I invite you to pray along with me right now. Heavenly Father, as surely as that husband came to that wife, so you've come to us. We've wandered away, gone and done our own thing, and ended up in a mess. But right now, I open my life to you. Please come in and forgive me. I'm so sorry. I want to turn away from that old life, and I want to turn to you. Begin rebuilding the brokenness inside of me. Help me to put the pieces back together with your help. And I'll walk with you all of this life, knowing I'll be with you after this life. Thank you for coming from me. I'm so grateful. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us for the Word for Everyday Disciples with Dave DeSalm. If you prayed that prayer along with Dave, inviting Jesus into your life for the first time, we would love to hear from you so we can celebrate with you, encourage you, and help you get started in your walk with Christ. Just send an email to Dave at dave at davedeselministries.org. Then join us next time as we look to God's Word for help and hope as we follow Jesus every day.